Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. As a believer in Jesus Christ, it is important to make every effort to live out the rules and the precepts that are in here. It's because for some people, they won't read this Bible, but they will see you and I that claim to know Christ. Sometimes we will be the only Bible that they see. And what are they seeing? Because you see, we need to live righteously. In other words, we need to live right, as they would say. And then also, at the same time, we have to be loving. Because if we're living a righteous life, but we don't love somebody... We are no different than the Pharisees, and we're we're thinking that we are better than ourselves. But if we love somebody, and we don't live right in front of them, then we don't really love them because we're not sharing with them the truth that leads to their eternal salvation. So, as we prepare for our message today, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, Two weeks ago, we did the first half of 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, we're looking at the second half. And we see that it says here, So, prepare your minds for action, and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Now, one of the first words that grabs my attention, and it should grab your attention too, is the word so. Now, this translation, it says so. Some translations say therefore. Other translations say wherefore. So the whole thing is, is when you see something that says so, therefore, or wherefore, don't you kind of want to know what it's there for? So, as we look at this, we left Peter's letter In verse 12, and he went to great lengths to remind the Christians of his day and to remind us as well that whatever we are going through, we have to remember that this is temporary. That things will get better because those who know Christ have the promise of eternal life. You see, bad things happen in our world today regardless of who places their faith in God or not. Whatever happens in this world today, the Bible says that God causes it to reign on the just and the unjust, meaning we live in a fallen world, and whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, bad things happen. But as a believer, we can have hope, and that's what he was saying. And because of that good news, we must live out our faith now for our sake, and for those who need to see the gospel. So when he says so, or therefore, or wherefore, or whatever your translation says there, what he's, what Peter is transitioning to, he is saying, this is the hope that you should have, and this is what you should do about it. You see, life is not always about you. Life is not always about you. It is about God first, others second, and yourself third. And that's what Peter is trying to tell them. Because God, He transforms us when we become a Christian. It says in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 39, Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You love the Lord with all your God, with, you love the Lord your God with all your whole heart, all your soul, and all your mind. 
This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. What good is having a hope of eternal life if we are not living out the faith we claim to have so that we can experience it, but also let others see it? I am here today because people chose to live out their faith in front of me. You are here today. It may have been a family member. It may have been a church member. It may have been any random number of circumstances. Well, it's not random because God ordains everything. But somebody lived out these scriptures in front of you, and it got your attention. It drew you to the scriptures. The Holy Spirit drew you unto himself, and then you were saved. A glorious work of the Holy Spirit. So then he says in here, and back in 1 Peter, he says to prepare your minds for action and self-control. Prepare your mind for action. Now, some of you are, you know, the King James Version says it this way. Gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. The phrase gird up the loins is actually a metaphor. It is a metaphor for preparing a task. And so if you don't know what girding up your loins means, I mean, maybe I've never girded up my loins. I don't know if y'all have girded up your loins. But this is what he's talking about. He's talking about the men back in that day. They would wear these long robes as, as normal everyday wear. And then their undergarments were also very long. So they had these long robes. So if they had to get to work, if they had to fight a battle, if they had to do something that caused them to run or to be quick or to, or, or to do something decisively, they would take the bottom of their, I don't want to call it a dress because they weren't wearing a dress, but they took the bottom of their loincloth, their robe that they were wearing, and they would pull it up and they would tuck it in their belt. That was girding up the loins. So you went from long formal wear to shorts, just by tucking in your, the bottom of your robe so they would gird up their loins. So if you saw somebody that had their, if you saw a man that was, had his loins girded up, you knew that he was getting ready to work. Uh, probably another a good axiom for that would be roll up your sleeves. And so what Peter is saying here, that it's time we don't just experience church, we just don't let it happen to us is that if we are going to live this Christian life, we are going to have to prepare your our minds. And Peter is telling telling us this. And so Craig Groeschel, he wrote a book called Winning the War in Your Mind, and he says this. He says, our lives do follow the directions of our thoughts. The better we grasp that truth, the better equipped will be to change the trajectory of our lives. i got a good friend that he and I talk a lot, and sometimes we'll talk about when things are happening and we get a, a bad mindset about something. He'll say, man, you got stinking thinking. And sometimes I'll tell him, hey, you got stinking thinking. Because that's the thing. You can look at one situation. One person would see the proverbial glass half empty. Others would see it half full. So Peter is saying, look, it's not enough to know that you're saved. It's not enough to try to live a holy life. You've got to prepare your mind and you've got to think about these things. It is a switch you have to pull in your mind. Now, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says, 
Think about things of heaven, not the things of earth. And I like the King James Version that says, set your affection. In other words, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. There was a book written, a study series written many years ago by Claude Hunt and uh, T.W. King. And it was called The Mind of Christ. And one of the biggest premises in this was that if you want to live the Christian life, you want to live this holy life that God's called you to, you have to set your mind to it. Our minds don't gravitate towards holiness. Our minds gravitate towards sin and self and pleasure. And here's the thing. I don't know if you knew this, but Satan will use your mind against you. Satan will use your mind against you. Now, you may look at me and not think that I'm a martial artist or a ninja. I know it's confusing, right, with this... I, it's a joke, okay? I'm not. Ta- don't take me seriously. But uh, I am not a ninja, but I have played one on a video game, and uh, I can even do the Karate Kid pose. All right. So does that make me a martial artist? Absolutely not. But the thing is, over the years, I have seen small kids, really small kids, takes down adults and people. Five times their size when they're sparring at their karate events because what they do is the, the, the bigger person will make a lunge for them and they will take that motion and they will take that arm or they will take that leg and use that aggressor's motion against them and then before they know it, that little kid has put that person on the floor. That is exactly what the devil does. I got news for you. The devil is not all present. The devil is not all-powerful. We do have a sinful nature that drags and entices us away from the standard God wants us to live. But then Satan, he will use our momentum towards our selfishness and sin to pin us to the ground. And it starts in the mind. People always want to worry about what we're doing with our bodies. Yes, that's terrible, but it didn't start at the body. It started in the mind. And so what Peter is saying is, prepare your mind. Gird up your loins. Set your mind. Make a decision to think about the right things. John 13.2 says, It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. You see, the thought to betray Jesus was already in Judas's mind. The thought was there, but Satan gave him a little push. Romans 7, verses 17 and 18, Paul says, So I'm not the one doing wrong, it is sin living in me that does it, and I know that nothing good lives in me, that is my sinful nature. Yes, default, a sinful nature. For those that believe in Jesus Christ, you are no longer a slave to that sinful nature. But the worst part about that is, is that if you are a believer and you continue to sin, it's not because you're a slave to it, it's because you choose to do it. Because your mind is not set and prepared for what God wants you to do. I'm not preaching to you is that what this is what you ought to do. This is what everybody ought to do. This is what I struggle with. Sometimes the mindset is not where God wants it. Sometimes the heart and the mind are not in sync. 
And God is using Peter to say, look, it's not just about blind obedience. It's not about keeping the Ten Commandments. It's not about living a perfect life. It is about setting your mind on the right things. Because the truth is, think about it. What consumes your thoughts? And how does that affect your actions? And how does that affect your environment? I can guarantee you, you your thoughts are bringing you to where you are. We've got to exercise some self-control. It's time to stop letting your mind wander to places it shouldn't go. To think about things it shouldn't think about. And to program you to think that yourself and others in a way that is contrary to His holiness. It's time to control what you think about men. It's time to control what you think about women. It's time for to decide to set our minds on the things of God. Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if your mind is running off the rails, it's time to slow down, get back on track, and get going again. Why? Because be holy because God is holy. Be holy because God is holy. Look at verses 14 through 16. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy, for I am holy. Holy, holy, holy. When we hear the word holy, that is probably one of the top five church words. And we think holy, we think of uh, these grand gestures of, of preachers in robes and angels and, and this standard that we can never meet. But the truth of the matter is, is that the term holy means to be set apart. To be set apart. It says God is holy. Which means he is separate and apart. God is distinct from anything else in all of creation because he created everything. He is our creator. He is unaffected by sin. And he is unable, enable, well not enable, but unable to sin. And his standard of righteousness is like that because he is holy. Holiness is central to who God is. What does that mean? Well, you may remember from the hymn that God is described as holy, holy, holy. We sang it just a little earlier today. Holy, holy, holy. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. In Revelation 4, 8. When a word is repeated in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, it's not because they are just repeating it for the sake of repeating it. It's not because they started when they said it and somebody was writing it down. When you see a word listed three times, that leads to mean an emphasis. They didn't have, in the original language, they didn't have punctuation marks. They didn't have all caps you could text in to let them know that you were serious. They had to repeat the word. So when you see a word repeated three times, it means that God's holiness is a big deal. And God's holiness is so great that no human can look at him and directly live. We knew from the Old Testament that God would dwell with the Israelites in the Holy of Holies. And when they would set that up, 
the priests would have to go through all of these cleansing rites to enter into the Holy of Holies. And if they had one bit of sin in their lives, they would be dead. We see the Mount of Transfiguration, where God came down to Jesus, Elijah, Moses. And his, his face shone. He was transformed. God spoke to Moses in a burning bush. Nobody has seen God face to face because we could not stand it. I've used this illustration before, but, uh, there was a company and they were, they make like, like clean wipes, like, like industrial, like space programs kind of stuff, stuff that has to be sterile. And so what they would do with it is they would take cloth and they would run it through this water. And I saw the water one time and the water was green. I said, man, that's green. I thought water was blue. He said, that's because we take all the impurities out of it. I said, man, that must be some good water to taste. He said, you can't taste it, you'll die. I said, what? Water? I thought water was good for you. He said, we take every bit of impurities out of that water. It is so pure that it would suck the impurities out of your system and you would go into shock. It is that pure. That's how they get those whites white, if you know what I mean. But I thought, wow. What... What a great illustration for God's holiness of what He demands of us. If we were to look at God straight on, we would die and perish. Now do you see why we needed Jesus? Now do you see why God had to put on skin in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ, and walk among us and give us something we could see that represented God because of His holiness? God takes His holiness seriously, and so should we. God takes His holiness seriously, and so should we. Think about it this way. Let's say, let's say you have a family member, and they're an organ donor, and something happens, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but they donate their organ to somebody. And you find that, you, you hear about the organ process, and you find out that your loved one's organs is now in somebody else. And then you go and meet that person and you realize they're still drinking. They're still partying. They're still living a lifestyle that um, is not beneficial, that will probably shorten their life. How would you feel? How would you feel knowing that your loved one gave a part of their lives? They had to die so that this other person could live. But yet this other person took that gift so lightly that it didn't change their behavior. That is holiness. Jesus Christ died for your sins and mine. That's what God did for you and what God did for me. And so if we are careless with that gift, we are no different than that organ recipient that lives a life carefree as if nothing ever happened. It's wrong. It makes you feel bad. What do you think God thinks? When That's why God calls us to take His holiness seriously. Then we see that being holy is not possible without Jesus Christ. It says in verse 17, And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. Not what you say, but what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of Him, 
during your time here as temporary residents. Folks, people have lost the fear of God. You have lost the fear of God. I have lost the fear of God. All of us could increase our fear of God. Because if we don't fear God, we are not motivated to live the holy life. It's like back in the day when uh, when I was a teenager and, and uh, you used to find out that somebody's parents went on a trip and they left your friend at the house. They would do what the parents told them not to. Now, don't have any friends come over. And everybody would come over. Then all of a sudden, we didn't have uh, find my friends back then. We didn't have location lockdowns where you could tell everybody's at. See the family car pulling into the driveway. Everybody scatters. Shoom! Why? Because they're doing something they weren't supposed to do, and they fear what their mom and dad are going to do when they get home. The problem is, is that nobody fears what God is going to do because they feel like everything is a party and that that's never going to happen. But I'm telling you, there is a time where every one of us will have to give an account for what we have done for the Lord, what we have not done for the Lord. The opportunities where we have pursued holiness and the other times where we have run in the opposite direction. We must have a fear of God. He can discipline you, but when He does, it's out of love and for a purpose that will make you better. You will strive to be holy when you take God seriously. Let me ask you something. I I, I talk to people all the time and they'll say, you know, I'm struggling, I want to get closer with the Lord. I'll say, well, what do you think you need to do? Well, I need to read my Bible more times a week. I need to pray longer and I need to go to church more. Wrong, wrong, wrong. What do you mean, preacher? You mean I don't need to read my Bible more? Yes. You mean I don't need to come to church? No, you need to come to church. You need to do all those things. But those are not the mark on whether you are a Christian or not. Those are religious activities that, that you can say, hey, I'm better because I can do these things. But the truth of the matter is that if you want to encourage and increase your love and your relationship with the Lord, love Him more. Well, what is that? That sounds too simple, preacher. It's, it's pretty simple. Hey, I've got a decision. Do I love what I want to do more or do I love the Lord? I think that pretty much settles everything. Do I want to do what makes me happy and satisfies this sinful nature or do I want to do what the Lord calls me to do because He's got something better for me? When we choose not to do the Lord's way, it's because we don't fear Him enough and we rather do it our way. That's what Peter is grabbing for and getting to. God is your all-powerful God, Creator and Heavenly Father. And if you want to be closer to God, love Him more. If you're going to love Him more, you're going to want to spend time with Him. You're going to hear what He says. You're going to talk to Him. You're going to be around people that represent Him. It's, it's, it's not the religious duties that save you. It's loving God more and loving yourself less. Then 18 through 21, you need to realize the value of your holiness. It says in verse 18, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. How many commercials do we have to see during the day, did they tell us that 
the whole market is going to go south and we need to invest in gold. We need to invest in silver dollars. We need to invest in all these other precious metals. That one day all of them will melt and fade away. The price of gold goes up and down every day. I can drive almost a mile from my house and sell every bit of metal I have for nickels on the dollar. has no value. But the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed so that you could have the forgiveness of sins, that, my friend, is priceless. We need to quit exchanging things that do not hold their value with that which is priceless, which is the blood of Christ. We need to realize the value of what holiness costs God. And he says, verse 20, Choose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these last days he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God, because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Folks, a ransom is paid to set somebody free. God ransomed us from the tyranny of sin, not with money, but with the precious precious blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. God paid the price for your sin and for mine. He paid a price that we were unable to pay. This plan was set in motion. It wasn't just something that God put together as He went. This was His, this plan was set in motion from the all-knowing, eternal God before the world was ever created. He loves you that much. You see, God is loving Because he set the standard of holiness while sacrificing Jesus so we could meet that standard. Not by our intentions, but his initiative. How cruel would it have been for God to set a standard so high for someone to receive eternal life and not give his son Jesus Christ to help us to obtain it. That would be, that would be cruelty. That would be, that'd be kind of like when you're giving your dog a treat and you, and they're there and you, and you kind of hold them way up here knowing they can't jump that high. God doesn't do that. God brought Jesus down to this earth so that you could be saved. Then 22 through 25 says, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. We need to be holy by showing genuine love. Sincere love and genuine love cannot go together. Serious love and genuine love cannot go together. Together, we see here that genuine love shifts the focus from meeting our own needs to meeting the needs of others. How would you trend? How, how would that think about it? If you shifted from self-service love to genuine love, how would that impact? How would that impact? Your job. How would that impact this church? If you really said, look, okay, no longer my will, but let's do what the Lord wants to do. I am going to put others first. It doesn't make sense. I know that. 
because you've got to you've got to pile up your resources and make sure that you're okay. But some of the best blessings we can find is when we give away things to other people that that can't afford it themselves. And then we're the ones that get the blessings from it. If we truly, genuinely love one another. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, God's word never dies. God's word never changes. There are some who think we ought to get a new gospel every few years or even every few weeks. But that was not Peter's notion. He wrote and he was divinely inspired to write concerning the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you base your behavior, if you base your if you base your beliefs on God's word, it will never lead you astray. It doesn't mean it won't be hard. It doesn't mean there won't be times that you will be frustrated, but it will always lead you in a direction of God's blessings. And in verse 24 says, As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Folks, stop simply living your life by investing it. Don't just exist. Don't just simply live your life, but invest that. What does that mean? Put God first. Be Holy. God is calling you and I from this passage today to be holy. It doesn't mean that we are holier than thou. That's not what this is saying. But what it's saying is set your mind to do the things God has called you to do. Be holy. Be set apart. Live the difference in front of people so that you see it, so that others see it. Don't just play church. Be the church. Peter reminds believers that everything in this life, possessions, accomplishments, and people will eventually fade away and disappear. Only God's will, His work, only those things are permanent. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, it is important to make every effort to live out our lives by righteous living so that others can see that and do the same. It's not an either or choice but a call to do both. So I told you in the first of this that I added and love. Be holy and loving to the sermon. And here's why. If we spend all of our energies trying to be holy and trying to come up with some kind of set of standards that we can meet in our own strength, you know what you call that? You call that religion. And religion is going to send more people to hell than anything else in the world. But if we're loving... And we're all, I mean, this world is all about love, 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 love. But there's no biblical standard. There's no morality. If you love somebody and you tell them what God's word says, they're going to say that's not loving. They're going to call you intolerant. They're going to call you all these other kinds of names. And in some places they will even hurt you. I don't know about you, but. If I see somebody going down a road where the bridge is out, I'm going to want to stop them and tell them. Love is not saying, oh, bless their hearts. They'll find out when they get there. No. We have to be holy, but we also have to be loving. 
Men, if you love your family, you're going to live a holy life in front of your family. Women, if you love your family, you're going to live a holy life in front of your family. If you love the people you work with, if you love the people in your church, if you love your friends, you are going to live a holy life around them and love them. So one day they're going to say, I want what he's got. I want what she's got. If you're living the holy life, it does not make you better than anybody else. But it does set you apart. I'll close with this. The reason the church, when I say the church, I don't mean just Homeland Park. I mean the church in general in America. The reason we are struggling is because if you take a group of Christians and you take a group of non-Christians and you put them together, too many times they act the very same way. They do the same habits. They have the same issues. There is no difference because the people that are called by God are not living holy lives. Don't be that. God has given you a set time, and I don't know what it is. We, we talk about this all the time. Only God knows when our, our time card is going to be punched. God knows, but we don't. So we must take every moment to be holy, to love God. And to love others. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time together this morning, for our worship, for our friends that are here. And Lord, as we do every week, Lord, we're just going to open up the altar for someone to, if they realize they have not been living the holy life they need to, or that they have not been showing or experiencing the love they should have, and they want to to make it right with you, they want to come forward and make a commitment, maybe before me or the church or or whoever, if they just want to come to the altar and pray, they can do that. If they'd like to join this church, to be baptized, whatever their decision may be during this moment, would they stand and come forward during this time of decision, Lord? There's nothing outside of these doors is worth putting off your decision to follow Christ today. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?